put that in context, it's only fairly recently that Shackleton has become so popular. Why do you think that is then? Why? Well, I think it's very interesting, I think particularly in this country, that uh, Captain Scott, he, he's the one man that everyone knows his name. And, um, of course, he was a hero and, um, you know, partly the reason that he and his men died uh, coming back from the South Pole. It made such an extraordinary story and really his story eclipsed Shackleton's story. But then uh, a book was written about Scott, which was a very damning account of Scott. And with that book, uh, it was written by a man called Roland Huntford. With that book, um, Scott became unpopular and the uh, Shackleton's popularity started to rise. But it's interesting about Frank Wilde because he was Shackleton's lieutenant and I think it very much reflects his character. He was a very quiet man, very composed with the way he carried out his expeditions. He wasn't someone that was going to throw himself rarely into the limelight. And so um, Frank Wilde, so he accompanied Shackleton on his expeditions and um, he wrote these memoirs um, which he wrote to be published but actually they have met, I mean this is the first time that they have been published so what's happened there yeah. and why is that? Well exactly because um, things, uh, much has been written about Frank Wilde in fact there is a biography of Frank Wilde that uh, was written quite some time ago and it never touched on his time in South Africa and of course that's where I was born and grew up so I know the country very well and I was particularly fascinated uh, in his time in South Africa. And uh, then, while I was researching him, I came across these memoirs, which uh, he wrote them in South Africa. They cover four of the expeditions. They, the memoirs end suddenly because, sadly, Frank Wilde died while he was writing them. But then his wife, uh, tried to carry on to having them published and uh, she came close to it and there were publishers interested in it but the one man that was helping her uh, moved out of South Africa and then she just really didn't have the wherewithal of course uh, the war broke out the second world war broke out just after he died about a, a week after he died and um, and then after that, there, you know, there was so much disarray through, throughout South Africa and throughout the world. And, uh, and I think she just found it very difficult to find another publisher. And so she just hung on to them. And when she died, her name was Trix, when she died in 1970, her brother, called Benjamin, sold the memoirs. Uh, and they were bought by the State Library um, uh, in Australia, in Sydney, and they have they keep they have got the original handwritten memoirs, but very fortunately for me, the memoirs were typed out mm. at the time that he was writing them, and this uh, wonderful woman in Johannesburg, she still lives there, um, she's quite elderly now and rather infirm actually. Um, she, was, she had the um, typed, first typed copy 
And when I discovered her, and I discovered her, her surname's Rowbotham, which was the same name as Frank Wilde's second wife's name, and I found her in the Johannesburg telephone book, and I, oh, each time I went to South Africa, I went to see her and uh, got to know her quite well, and she showed me the memoirs, and of course my own research was starting to indicate that he was trying to get his memoirs published, and so was Trix, his wife. And, um, and then this m marvellous woman, June Robotham, said, I think um, you need to take these, the copy of these memoirs and all the other papers that she was sitting on, which was quite a lot of material, which were, it, because this whole journey of researching Frank Weil, which has taken seven years, I had many pieces of a puzzle, but it was very difficult to fit them all in. And, but with all this material she gave me, it made the job a lot easier. And I've pretty well been able to trace his movements of the 16 years he was in South Africa. And one amazing thing is that you discovered his ashes, which are buried in Johannesburg. And um, apparently he wanted to be buried by Shackleton, but for some reason he was buried in Johannesburg. And so two questions, why was he buried there? And why didn't anyone know why, that his ashes were there? Well, what had happened, and it's very interesting because when I started to uh, research Frank Wilde, I discovered very early on that no one knew where he was buried or what had happened to his remains. And, in fact, people were looking in the wrong place. They were looking at a cemetery in Johannesburg called Brixton. And the reason they were looking there was that all the reports indicated that his burial took place at Brixton Cemetery. But within, I suppose, a matter of days after he died, various people in South Africa, including the, the Sons of England, which was really an offshoot of the Masonic Lodges, suggested to Trix, his wife, to have him cremated so that those ashes could go back to... Uh, South Georgia to be buried with Shackleton because Shackleton, his boss, Shackleton was of course always known as the boss, um, Frank Wilde adored him and was so close to him. And uh, Trixie knew that if she was to have him cremated, she would have to move the funeral to Bramfontein, which is only a few kilometres away from Brixton Cemetery. But the reports in most of the newspapers reported that the funeral was going to take place in Brixton. And when I went to Bramfontein Cemetery, and I know it well because my parents are buried there, um, so I visited it many times, um, I found this old uh, ledger and I knew the date that he died and there it was, Frank Weil had been cremated at the Bramfontein Cemetery. And I discovered during my research that straight after he was cremated, the ashes actually went back to the funeral directors, uh, which at the time were called Hobkirks. And that was actually in the, this leather ledger that I was looking at. And they'd been taken there for safekeeping, and I'm sure it was because of the war. But I had discovered that Trixie 
had must have at some point gone to collect these ashes, which are in a, a good-sized box, really, a wooden box. And she kept those ashes with her. And actually, when I, when I, I've got the ashes at home, still in their box, because, you know, we are going to take them to South Georgia. But when you look at the box, it's quite bashed. And it's, um, it's been sort of stippled with this golden green paint and uh, quite a bit of it is missing and some of it's peeled off and the box has obviously been knocked around, which very much proves what I thought had happened, that she kept the box with her. And, of course, she had his ashes until um, 1970, I believe. And, um, and it is round about then that they were then put in this... It's called a columbarium, and I have to confess, I didn't know that name, it's, but it's a vault. Which is, it's got niches from floor to ceiling, and in each niche is an urn or a box of ashes. And, um, but no one really knows about this vault or this columbarium. It's not used today. Um, it's full, and there's a Garden of Remembrance at Bromfontein Cemetery, and that's usually where the ashes go. And certainly that's where Trixie's ashes was, were spread in the Garden of Remembrance. Another incredible thing, um, so this November you're actually going on an expedition from Johannesburg to South Georgia to take his remains back to South Georgia so that they yes. can be buried while his ashes, yes. so that they can be buried alongside Shackleton's. Um, so what exactly... Um, is going to happen on this yeah. expedition? Well, um, this sounds very self-promoting, but I, uh, two years ago I set up a very small business, and we've got a parent company of taking people up to the Arctic and down to Antarctica. And um, fortunately for us, um, I was given permission. It's absolutely unprecedented by the governor of the Falklands who's also the commissioner of South Georgia to take the ashes back to be buried with Shackleton of course and that is all backed by his descendants he's got descendants in Australia and descendants here in England and uh, so our little uh, company which is called Ice Tracks uh, we're leaving on the 20th of November in a little Russian ship, which is a ship that we use called the Academic Iofi. And actually we then, um, we, the ship leaves from Ushuaia, the southern tip of Argentina. Um, you know, as I say, I, or I don't know whether I did say it, but I actually went back to Johannesburg the early part of this year to collect his ashes again with the permission of his family. And I brought them back with me. And um, and so they will be part of my hand luggage as we head down Argentina and pick up the ship uh, in Ushuaia. And we've got an 18-day voyage. We're going to the Falklands where uh, I'm having his memorial stone actually made in this country. But um, it will then go straight to the Falklands and we will go via the Falklands. We'll pick that up. On this 18-day journey, we always do stop off at the Falklands. Then uh, two days later we will be down in South Georgia and we will be going into Cumberland Bay and uh, we're taking a reverend from the Falklands. We're taking six Frank Wilde descendants with us. 
and we're taking Alexander Shackleton, who's Ernest Shackleton's granddaughter, and uh, very, you know, m quite a few interested parties, and uh, there are still a few places left. So, you know, we're going to have a full ship. There's no doubt about it. We take about 86 passengers, and um, we're going to have a ceremony, which will be, if it's very weather dependent, but it should be on the 27th of November. We'll have a ceremony at the cemetery and we will inter the ashes.